Exodus chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, we'll go there in just a little bit. We're in week number three of our Lessons from the Desert series. So far, we've looked at Moses and the burning bush in the desert. Last week, we looked at Abram and Sarai and Hagar and Ishmael and how that all panned out and what we could learn from that. Uh, this week, we are going to talk about uh, another story in the desert of the Israelites uh, who are wandering in the desert because of their lack of faith and uh, some of the stories we can learn from that. So um, I want to look at some lessons uh, from that story. More for, there's, there's a ton of lessons we could learn from this story. In fact, I could probably spend an entire series talking about all of the things that the Israelites did wrong uh, and what we can learn from them. But we're just going to hone in on three things today, specifically about God's provision while they were in the desert, while they were in the wilderness, because I know all of us at times have gone through our own wildernesses or our own desert experiences. And I think that as we go through these times in our lives, these dry spells, these spiritual dry spells, it's good for us to look at other people who have been there and see what we can learn and I want you to understand something this morning. When you're going through those difficult times, understand that God will provide. He will provide for you. Uh, I was thinking this week about this message, and I was uh, reminded of a story about a young woman who brought her fiancé home to meet her parents at Thanksgiving one year, and after dinner... The mother told the father to go in the other room and talk to him, find out as much about him as possible because they didn't really know him all that well. So have a talk with him and see what his future plans are. And so the dad sits down with the young man in the living room after dinner, says, so what are your plans? And the young man said, I'm a biblical scholar, a biblical scholar. Hmm, that's that's kind of interesting. The father said, it's admirable, but what will you do to provide a nice place to live for my daughter? And uh, he said, I'm going to study and God will provide for us. Well, how are you going to buy her a beautiful engagement ring like she deserves? And, and he said, well, you know, I'm going to concentrate on my studies and God will provide for us. Well, what about children? The father asked, how will you support children? Again, sir, don't worry. God will provide. Conversation proceeded like this on and on and on for several minutes. Every time the father would ask a question, the son or the future son-in-law would say, God will provide provide. Later on in the evening, the mother sits down with the father and says, well, how did the talk go? And the father said, well, he has no job, he has no plans, and he thinks I'm God. Uh, <laughs> um, God will... <laughs> God will provide for us, uh, and, and sometimes we don't always see that, and the children of Israel were starting to doubt that some. They had seen God uh, come through for, for them on, on several occasions, but now here they find themselves in a difficult situation, uh, difficult situation again in Exodus chapter 16. And, and it says the whole Israelite community, this is beginning in verse 1, uh, chapter 16, the book of Exodus, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin. I think that's interesting that there's a desert of sin. <laughs> uh, you know, you, I, I don't even have to explain that one. You can take off and run with that one on your own. The desert of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we set a 
and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough food for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against them. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, heard the grumbling of the Israelites, tell them at twilight you will eat me, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared before. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told, and some gathered much, some little, and when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little one, or too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. For our purposes today, I want to focus on three things that I think we can learn about God's provision for his people. And here's the very first thing. I believe that this story teaches us that God's provision teaches us obedience. Even when we're going through a difficult time in our lives, when we're going through a desert, sometimes, do you agree with me that sometimes it's hard to be obedient to what God wants you to do when you're going through a spiritual dry spell, when it's a difficult time in your life, you don't want to be obedient, sometimes you're pulled away in a different direction, it's really hard to trust and it's hard to be obedient. I think this story teaches us that we need to be obedient even in the midst of our desert experience. Look at verses 16 and 17. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. Now notice the first part of verse 16. This is what the Lord commanded. And notice verse 17. The Israelites did as they were told. Over and over and over again, I have met with people who just can't understand why God hasn't given them what they've asked for. 
I have met with people time and time and time again who have prayed and prayed and prayed and wanted certain things in their lives and things maybe just did not come out the way that they wanted them to. It's almost as if when I dig a little deeper talking with them, they're, they're treating God like this heavenly genie who just is supposed to give them what they ask for without having any skin in the game at all. Because normally what it boils down to after talking with them after a little bit of time, I find out that part of the reason why they're not receiving what they want is because they have not been obedient to what God's word is asking of them. I have counseled people who are going through difficult times in their relationship. And I have questioned, did, did you pray about this relationship before you jumped into it? Well, no. But what happens a lot of times is things go wrong and then they want God to bail them out, but they didn't really consult God on the first time around. And, and so there's other things. That's just one that probably I run into more, more than any. But I think there is a direct correlation between our obedience and God's blessings in our lives. I believe that the more obedient we are to what God wants for our lives, the more obedient we are to Scripture, then there is a direct correlation to the blessings of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to stand up here and, you know, I don't want to, don't want to act, you know, I'll name it and claim it and you, you do this and God's going to bless you with all of this stuff. I'm, I'm not talking about that. And I also believe that sometimes God will graciously provide things for us even in our sin. I've mentioned this to you before that sometimes I struggle with the person who might not even be a believer or maybe somebody that I know is kind of like just playing the game and being somewhat hypocritical who seemingly gets all the breaks. Is anybody with me on that? Do you struggle with that from time to time? Our responsibility is to just be obedient. We do as we're told. If we want God's provision for our lives, we do as we are told, obey God if we want his blessings. The, the Israelites were told uh, what to do, and they were, they were told how to do it, and things were going well as long as they were doing that. They were told to take an omer. I laughed at that because uh, omer means half gallon, and I had a preacher growing up. His first name was Omer. He was a great guy. And if I'd known that when I was a kid, I probably would have called him half gallon my whole life. You know, that would have been, been how you doing, Reverend, half gallon? But anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, but an omer was a half gallon, and, and that's how much they were supposed to take into their tent. They were supposed to gather as much as, 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 as they needed. And God provided that, that manna from heaven. But God, do you notice that God wouldn't just like let them sit back and, and, and do nothing? There was something that they had to do. The people had to go out every single morning. They had to gather it. And then after they would gather it, later we read that they beat it into what the Bible, they, they called it mortars, and they ground it into mills, and they baked it into pans. They made it into cakes. And, and we read in other places in Scripture where God does not endorse idleness. And so what he's wanting, he said, listen, I'm going to bless you, but there's some things that I want you to do in the process. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, we read that if a man shall not work, he shall not eat. And so if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, they were going to starve. And so, you, you know, when God's voice is clearly telling you something, you need 
to trust him. It reminds me of a story of a man who fell from a cliff and on his way down off the cliff he grabs a uh, hold of a limb. It was growing out of the face of the rock and he's holding on to this, this limb for, for, for dear life and he's reviewing his options. He's seeing if there's any way he can climb up. He's looking to see how far it is down and he cried out, God, are you? is there anyone up there? And he heard a voice. He said, yes, it's me. It's God. And he was greatly relieved and he said, can you please save me? And God said, of course I can. Man said, great, what should I do? And God said, let go of the branch. And after a long pause, a man said, is there anyone else up there? Isn't that what we do? Don't we do that sometimes? God, are you up there? God, will you help me? And then when we hear clear directive of what God wants us to do, are there any other options? Is there anything else that you want me to do? And, and, and we're like that sometimes. We say that we want to please God. We just don't want to do the things that we know are going to please Him. I don't know about you, but I have found it much easier to be obedient to God if I know that there's something good waiting at the end of it. <laughs> you know, that's a lot easier, isn't it? We, we, we look all through Scripture. Naaman, remember the story of Naaman? Naaman uh, had leprosy, and he was told by the prophet that he was to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River if he wanted to be healed of leprosy. The blind man had to go and wash his eyes at the pool of Siloam and if he wanted to see again. And the Israelites had to march around Jericho seven times and then blow trumpets, and then they had to shout. And, and, and uh, that's what God told them to do if they wanted to conquer the enemy. Here, the Israelites, they had to go out every single day and gather bread. See, here's the deal. Victory and, and, and food, that was all going to be provided. Healing was going to be provided. But there was something on their part that had to be done in order for that blessing to take place. Just about everybody I've ever met in my life... They want the blessings of God in their lives. They, they want the blessings of God after this life. Just don't necessarily want to do what they're supposed to do in order to receive those blessings. God, you don't want me to do this sin thing anymore? You want me to leave this kind of life behind? You want me to repent? You want me to be baptized? That make any sense. You, you want me to live it according to your word? That's pretty rough. That's tough in this day and age. It's just too hard. Listen, there's some things that are not easy. There's some things that God has said in his word that are just not easy. There are some things in God's word that just don't make sense to me. Can, can anybody relate to that? You know, I don't understand why God said what he said sometimes. When, when I use my human brain and I sit back and I try to think like God thinks, there are some things I just don't quite get. I know that when the prophet told Naaman to take a dip in the Jordan River seven times in order to be healed, I'm pretty sure, in fact, Scripture says it, didn't understand it. Why? Why not just once? Why not twice? Why seven times? I don't know. It's what God said. Just do it. Right? I know the Israelites were told to march around Jericho every day for six days. On the seventh day, they were mar march around seven times. And then, and then you know, then you're going to shout. And you're going to blow trumpets. And the walls are going to fall down. And I'm sure the Israelites are saying, say, what? You know, seriously? 
That's so crazy. That doesn't make any sense. I know people, sometimes people are told, repent of your sin, turn away from your sin, and be baptized into Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 2. What? I shouldn't have to do that. It might not make sense to everybody, but it's what his word says. And here's what we need to understand sometimes. God's ways are way different. Have you figured that out yet? God's ways are different than ours. They're higher. They're better. They're greater. And sometimes it might not make a lot of sense to us. But we've just got to be obedient. We've just got to trust him. Let me ask you a question. When you were growing up, did your parents ever tell you something when you were a kid and you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life? Who said no? <laughs> we can pray with you after the service, you know. Uh, but all of our parents said things at times where it's like, that just doesn't make any, I don't understand that. And then years later, you realize, hey, what mom and dad told me back near as dumb as what I thought it was when I was a kid. I think that sometimes that happens to us in our walk with the Lord. When we are sometimes spiritually immature, we're at a spiritually immature point in our lives and we read something from God's word and we don't quite understand it. And then years later, as we start to mature, we start to understand, hey, God really does have my best interest in mind. He really does care about me. He really does love me. He really does want to bless me and protect me from all kinds of things that I would run headlong into if I didn't listen to him. He's our heavenly father. And I know we throw that phrase around sometimes that, that he's our father. But just like we would trust our earthly father. We need to learn to trust him that he loves us. And while we might not understand it, we need to be obedient. And then I think when that happens, not only does he provide what we need, he throws in some other things, some blessings, just because he can. Because he loves us. He's gracious enough to give us things that we didn't even ask for sometimes. Isaiah says this in chapter 1, verse 19, if you are good and obedient, you will eat the good things of this land. Isaiah is saying that doing good and being obedient to God's word, that will bring you contentment. That will bring you peace. And that's a blessing to everyone who's obedient to the word of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 24, if anyone, he says actually everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's the kicker. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Here in verse 17, it says, the Israelites did as they were told. And, and the Israelites see that God, God blessed them. Because they did what they were told. They were, they were obedient. God provided for them. And then the second thing that we see from this story is that God's provision is always enough. Verse 18 of our text today, when they measured it, 
He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Have you ever noticed that God's measure is always the right measure? Those that gathered a lot, they didn't have anything left over. I don't know how God worked it out. I don't know if the manna seemed to shrink or, or maybe if, if some gathered little and it swelled, I don't know if he, he did a thing like he did with the, the loaves and fishes and the little boy, and if they just gathered a little bit and he miraculously provided, if it was a little, I think he might have. He certainly could have, you know. But whatever the case was, the quantity that everyone gathered was just enough to satisfy everyone's need. Isn't that amazing? God will always give us what we need will always be the right amount. Again, it might not be everything that we want, but it'll be everything that we need and it'll always be enough. What God gives is good enough. Please, please understand that this morning because I think sometimes, again, I'm guilty of this. I look at what other people are doing. I, I, I look at what other people have in their lives sometimes and I play that stupid game and it's not fair and, and, and for that reason alone, I ought to do away with social media. Can I get an amen to that? I hate so. I'm getting to the point where I hate social media, but there I am right in the middle of it. I don't know. But I look at what other people have, and I think, you know, why? why God, why? Well, we've done that, right? and we've got to stop that. Philippians 4.12, this is what the Apostle Paul said. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I've learned the secret of being content. Paul knew what it was like to be dead broke. And he knew what it was like to have everything that he wanted. He'd been on both sides of it. He knew what it was like to be hungry and he knew what it was like to eat so much that he really didn't care if he ate again for a couple of days. But he mentioned in all of those circumstances, he's learned the secret of being content. And it's knowing that God will never abandon his children to fend for themselves. He's always going to provide. Especially in a world that is opposed to them. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul knew what it was like to get beat up, insulted, abused, whipped, stoned, imprisoned. And yet, he learned never to get too down about it. I don't know if I could do that. He knew what it was like to be appreciated. He knew what it was like to be applauded. He knew what it was like to live a life of affluence and influence. He knew what it was like to excel in, in plenty. And yet he learned never to get too high on himself. Not to be too proud or to be too haughty. He knew that in every situation, God's grace is enough. God's grace is sufficient. We say it often, if he does nothing else for you but save your soul from hell, that's pretty good. That's enough. But he gives more than that. Right? 
Those Israelites who gathered much never had too much. Those who gathered little never had too little. And we all receive different graces from God. And I don't know why God gives out graces like he does to some people and withholds it. I don't know. But we all receive different graces from God. But we all share the same God. And we all are going to spend eternity with him if we're in Jesus Christ. Some commentaries make the point that Paul uses this lesson in verse 18 to to teach the wealthy Corinthian church that it was their duty to reduce themselves so that others would increase. Because what Paul was saying is, listen, shoe might be on the other foot someday. Situation might be reversed someday. You might think that you've got all the blessings and everything's just great and everything's wonderful, but you need to understand that it it has nothing to do with you. It's what God has done for you. And so you you must decrease so that others can increase because you never know. God's provision teaches us sufficiency. If you've been blessed with much, it is our duty to give to those who haven't been as fortunate. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I want to clarify something. There's no sin in having a lot of stuff. There's no sin. There's no problem in having much. The problem lies in loving that stuff and loving that money and wanting more and more and more and in the process Never giving and giving and giving. Here's the third thing. God's provision teaches us dependence upon Him. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Now, Although they had no more manna in their tent to eat the next day, they knew that they could still go to bed that night knowing that when they woke up the next morning there would be manna on the ground, right? And and we've got to learn to depend on God like that. We need to learn to depend on God's provision like that. The same way that a baby relies on its mother to be fed, right? Newborns can't feed themselves. They rely on someone to feed them. Not just once, but every time they're hungry. That's what God will do for us. The more we trust God, the more we discover His generosity, the more we're obedient to Him. He's going to continue to bless us as we continue to show our dependence upon Him, and we continue to trust Him, right? And while the Israelites didn't keep more than they needed, it didn't stop them from trying. There were a few of them. There's always a few bad eggs, right? And it made Moses mad. They paid no attention to Moses, the Bible says, and they kept part of it till morning. And so here we see this situation of these people thinking, well, you know what? Maybe God's not going to provide for me tomorrow, and so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. They're trying to outsmart God, and they keep some of it 
in their tent. Over, they, they take more than they need and they try to keep it until morning. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they just didn't trust God. Maybe they're just not morning people and they were lazy and they didn't want to get up the next day and go out and do what they were supposed to do. I don't know, but whatever the case was, what they did caused their tent to smell like a junior high locker room. All right? And, and it was awful. And can you imagine being that tent, that one tent in that whole camp, and what's that smell? Where's that coming from? What, what is that? You know, and they start to, and, and they see that this smell and this, this maggot-infested food and this smelly food, am I painting a good enough nasty picture for you yet? I thought the junior high thing would do it for you. But, but it's this, this, this smelly tent. And everybody in the camp knew that they didn't do what God told them to do. And I'm sure that some of the people in the camp are starting to think, guys, why did you do that? You blew it. I hope God doesn't pour out his wrath on all of us because of what you did. It didn't set well. And it didn't end well, right? Charles Spurgeon said that true independence only comes once you depend on God. Dependence only comes once you depend on God. We've got to trust Him. We've got to stop relying on our own strength, our own ability, our own schedule. And just trust that God's going to be there for us. I heard about a man who prided himself on being exceedingly punctual. He followed a very precise routine every single morning. His alarm would go off at 6.30 in the morning. He would get out of bed uh, briskly. He would shave. He would shower. He would eat his breakfast. He would brush his teeth, pick up his briefcase, get into his car. He'd ride a ferry across town into the business area of town, and, and he would walk into his building, and then he would march to the elevator, and it would go up to the 17th floor, and he would hang up his coat, and he would open his briefcase, and he would spread his papers out on his desk, and he'd sit down in his chair at precisely 8 a.m. every single day, not 8.01, not 7.59, always 8 a.m. exactly. He followed the same routine without variation for eight solid years until one morning his alarm didn't go off. Right? He overslept 15 minutes. When he did wake up, he was absolutely panic-stricken. He rushed through the shower. He nicks himself shaving. He gulped down his breakfast. He only halfway kind of brushed his teeth. He grabbed his briefcase. He jumps into the car. He speeds downtown, jumps out of his car. He looks for the ferry. And there is the ferry out in the water away from the deck. And he starts thinking to himself, I think I can make it. And so he starts running down the dock as fast as he possibly can, full speed. He reaches the edge of the pier. He makes an enormous leap out over the water and miraculously lands on the ferry with a loud thud. The captain rushed down to make sure he was all right. And he says to the guy, he says, man, that was some jump there. That's a tremendous leap, almost miraculous leap. But if you had just waited a minute, the ferry would have reached the dock and you could have walked right on. How many times in our lack of patience, in our lack of trust, do we try to outrun God? Do we try to take matters into our own hands? We think, well, you know what? God's just not got this one covered. I'm going to have to do something. No. 
Maybe this time he won't provide for me. I better take matters into my own hands. I've got to do something. If we really want to do our best, we must remember that God's going to do his best for us. And we can depend on him. And why shouldn't we? What, what did Jesus say? Seems like we've shared this a lot lately. But he, he talks about the birds of the air and they don't sow or reap or store in barns and yet God provides for them. Are you not worth more than them? Why do we doubt? Why do we stress? Why do we worry so much when we read that God will provide? Would you just say that with me out loud? God will provide. Now say it like you mean it. God will provide all that we need. What an incredible foreshadowing this story is of provision. A wonderful foreshadowing of the plan of salvation. We see the Israelites dwelling in the desert. They're set free from slavery in Egypt by a deliverer by the name of Moses. Right? And then we look at what Jesus did for us. We're slaves to our sin and Jesus came as our deliverer to set us free. He provided eternal life for us. If he... If he was willing to provide eternal life for us by going to the cross and dying for us, how much more would he be willing to give us the things that we need? To me, that's the, all the things that we need now are a whole lot easier, a whole lot less trouble than leaving heaven and going to the cross and dying for us. We need to depend on Jesus more. We need to trust Him more. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Just like God gave that bread from heaven, He gave us the bread of life in Jesus. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. How often will we go hungry? Never. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I just think sometimes we fail to realize what we have in Jesus as a provider. I'll close with this story as the worship team comes. It's about a 24-year-old guy by the name of Danny Simpson. He was sentenced to six years in jail for robbing a bank. Danny got six years in the clink for stealing $6,000 from a bank. But the gun he used in the robbery ended up in a museum because it was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic and it turned out to be an antique that was made in 1918 by the Ross Rifle Company. The pistol that he had in his hand was worth $100,000 on the collector's market. And he used it to hold up a bank <laughs> I think it's kind of funny <laughs> um, to get $6,000. He didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue what was at his disposal. And I think we as Christians are like that.
We don't realize who we have in our corner. Who's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us, praying for us, providing for us. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I want you to understand that not only has God provided everlasting life for us, He has provided life for us down here as well. And those of you who are already believers, you, I, I just urge you to lean into that this morning and trust that. Those of you maybe who are watching online, maybe, uh, maybe you're here this morning in the service and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. We encourage you to consider that this morning as well. Maybe you're one of those people who say, well, you know what? This whole surrendering to Christ and being baptized, repenting of sins, all living, that some of that, that just doesn't make sense to me. I, I just pray that someday it will. Maybe today's that day. We're going to sing a song. If you have a decision to make, we encourage you to come. You can text the word ready to our church connection number that you see on the screen if you want to talk to somebody. Maybe the rest of you just need to spend some time in prayer. Just say, God, help me to trust you. I know that you're going to provide. Let's pray.